Okay, we talked about praise tonight. Is it any secret, and would it surprise you that we're going to read a portion of Psalm 16 tonight that talks about David praising the Lord? And we probably all would say, well, of course he praises the Lord. But I was more intrigued by what he praised the Lord for. Because uh, I've, I've been a Baptist long enough to know if you ask people, what do you have to praise the Lord for tonight? We typically hear the same old things over and over and over. I want to give you some fresh things to think about as you praise the Lord. I think about uh, Don Whitney, one of the last times he was with us. He talked to us about prayer and he said, any conversation, the same old thing done in the same old way gets boring. And that's why our prayer lives get boring because we kind of get into a pattern and a rhythm and we say the same old things about the same old things in the same old way. And uh, that's what Jesus warned us about. He said we're not to pray like the lost people pray, like the heathen. And he said they think they will be heard for their much praying. In other words, they think it's about their ability to put words together and pray long prayers and that type of thing. And then he says that we're not to practice, and he put it like this, vain repetition, which means empty, mindless, thoughtless repetition that comes out of our mouths. Um, think about growing up all of your life when you would hear somebody pray, maybe in church, and you would hear these cliches that would come out. And maybe think about mealtimes at your house or at your grandparents' house, and think about the cliches that would come out. You could almost anticipate what was going to be said. And so we want to try to find maybe a fresh way to do this. And David uh, gives us some ideas here. And so we want to talk about David as he uh, praises the Lord. No surprise that he would do it, but it might be something refreshing as to how he does it. Now, before we read our text, I want to read something that Dr. Steve Lawson said. And I quote, Because of God's abundant favor, David offered praise to the Lord specifically because the Lord counseled him. You know, people all the time are talking about, I need to see a counselor, I need some counseling. Well, David said, I've got the best counselor in the world, and the counselor is the Lord, and I praise him. And um, he goes on to say, uh, So perfect was the Lord's advice that it remained lodged in his heart even at night. He couldn't help but think on it, meditate on it, we would say. He declared, I have set the Lord always before me. This was a place of undivided focus and exclusive preeminence. That word preeminence is pretty important, isn't it? That's what Paul said in Colossians, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Uh, going on, it says, God was at his right hand, the position of highest exaltation as his all-sufficient sustainer. Thus, David would not be shaken by any danger. God was unmovable, so was he. And that's something we forget sometimes, that God, as he watches over us, the one who has ordered our steps, the one who has decreed certain things about us, and our life, those things are unchangeable. We can't change them. Our foes can't change them. The devil himself can't change them. This is a decree from God. 
and what he has decreed is going to uh, come to pass. Or think about how many things, if the devil could stop it, how many things would have been stopped that we uh, read about in the Scripture. He would have stopped Moses. He would have stopped Joshua. He would have stopped any of those people and their conquest of the Promised Land. And he would have stopped David for sure. And he would have stopped Isaiah and all of the prophecies that he wrote down about Jesus. He certainly would have stopped Jesus. In fact, he tried, didn't he? Herod had all of the babies two years of age and under killed in Bethlehem. And uh, there were times when Jesus would preach in his own hometown in Nazareth at the synagogue. And they wanted to take up stones against him and to stone him. And uh, anything they could do, they would have stopped and the enemy would have stopped. But he couldn't because this has been decreed by the Lord. And he couldn't stop the resurrection. Certainly he would want to stop that. Well, first of all, I believe the devil was trying to not get Jesus to the cross, but keep him from the cross, and then to prevent the resurrection, but he couldn't do that. And he's not going to prevent the Lord from coming again. And so our Lord is immovable, and everything he does, he does well, and it's according to his wonderful and holy, all-sufficient plan. And because we are included in that plan, then we, like David, are unmovable or immovable because we are in Him. And that means that you're not going to die any sooner than the Lord has decreed, no matter who comes after you. And you're not going to live any longer than the Lord has decreed, no matter what medical science may do or what you may want or will or pray for, that has been decreed by God. And when we think about all of the things that take place in our life, all of the things we didn't anticipate, and all of the things that we wish had never happened, and yet we get maybe a decade or two beyond that, and we look back and we say, wow, God did some great things in me, for me, and through me during that time. And uh, that's because God does all things well. And as we saw in our Sunday school lesson this last week, the end of a thing, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, is better than the beginning because in the beginning we panic and in the beginning we're thrown off and in the beginning we are just kind of confused about everything. But over time we get to see Romans 8, 28 come to pass in our lives. And that's one of the reasons why you shouldn't fear getting older. You get wiser as you get older because you've got a better perspective on life and on all of the trials and things that you go through. You can see the literal fulfillment where Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. We can all say amen to that. But we also get to see as time goes by that we can be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. And one day as we sang, we are going to see the culmination of all of that when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord and the wonderful celebration at his eternal coronation. But we want to get a taste of it now, so we want to praise the Lord. What did David praise the Lord for? Well, you know, it wasn't the same old thing about the same old thing, was it? He talks about things like stability and consistency in turbulent times. Have you noticed how the Lord can settle you down when everything else is shaking all around you? And then he praised the Lord also because of the avoidance of 
moral pitfalls and traps. And do you realize that you have been, there were traps set for you today. And um, I'm going to guess that most of you didn't fall for it today. Because the Lord was counseling you and he guided you. Counseling is guidance, isn't it? And he guided you through all of that and away from that. And that's really what it means when Jesus said, lead us not into temptation. Not that the Lord ever would, but that that's a, a way of saying, don't lead me into anything that would be a pitfall for me. Take me away from those things because you know where the traps are. I don't. And uh, we also know that David was kind of praying. It was like he had a spiritual GPS that he knew where he was walking, what to do, and he knew what he was supposed to do and what he was supposed to avoid. And so he had this life of praise. So let's read this in Psalm 16, just two verses, 7 and 8. David said uh, something that's familiar to us, I will bless the Lord, and then he veers off just a little bit, who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Like the old hymn, I shall not be moved like a tree planted by the waters. I shall not be moved. Somebody said that's the Baptist national anthem. I shall not be moved. And they may be right, but in this, it's a good thing not to be moved because it means we're not swayed by culture's winds. We're not swayed by the shifting sand and of culture or anything like that. So notice that David, number one, he praises God for the wisdom of the ages that enables him to avoid moral pitfalls. You know, uh, the world is so confused and so messed up and uh, you, you've seen all of this before and heard us reference this before. But in Isaiah, it says, Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Would you agree with me we're living in those times? It's just so messed up. And things that just a few years ago, or maybe even a decade ago, we look at, and things that were perfectly acceptable then are taboo now, and things that were an abomination then are perfectly acceptable now. And it gets so confusing because we uh, are not sure uh, even the things that we kind of settle in on today are going to change tomorrow or sometime later. And you're going to say the wrong thing and you're going to be called out because you offended somebody or you hurt somebody's feelings or you said something that was politically incorrect or something that was culturally insensitive. And we could go on and on with all of that. And that's why we've got to go back to the Word of God because the Word of God doesn't change. And you can look at even uh, different uh, parts of our culture and society that what was acceptable, what they called themselves 10 or 20 years ago, now if you say that, then all of a sudden you are way off base and you're not even sure what it is you're supposed to call them or how you're supposed to address them. And um, we look at the Scripture and we find out that every time we open the pages of the Bible, it always says the same thing. And so if you get tired of stuff, I mean, I've gotten to the place now where we'll be watching TV. And a lot of times we try to record things so we don't have to watch the commercials. But oh my goodness, some of the things they advertise now are just horrible. 
And, and it's amazing where the boundaries have been moved. And it kind of is strange to me that some of the petty things that will offend everybody in our culture, and yet they can put stuff on the TV and advertise things that are offensive to me. And you know what I found out? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. They're not, they're not worried about it. They just tell me, basically, deal with it. Times have changed. You're living in a modern world. Catch up with the times. And that's pretty much the way it's been for centuries and centuries the older generation, we don't understand the music, we don't understand the philosophies, we don't understand the stuff that the younger generation does. In fact, I was watching a commercial the other day, and this doesn't have anything to do with morality, this is just the way things are. I watched the whole commercial, and I had no idea what they were advertising until the very end. Now, it used to be they told you right up front, and uh, you knew it was for Ford or Chrysler or, or whatever. Or Oldsmobile. You know, those car companies that aren't around anymore. This is not your father's Oldsmobile. Remember that one way back in the 80s? And uh, you knew right up front what was happening. Well, now you're like, uh, is this? I mean, I, I was watching it and these people were talking about tacos and a bunch of other stuff. And it ended up being a Volkswagen commercial. I don't know what... German stuff and Mexican stuff have to do with each other but I mean so be it that's just the way it is and probably if uh, I was sitting there with some teenagers they probably would have thought it was cool and followed right along with it but it just kind of right over my head and I'm thinking like what's the point that doesn't motivate me in the least well we've had a generational shift haven't we well, one of the things that's nice is I can go back to the Word of God and I can read it, and I can read it just like people in my grandparents' generation did, and I can get the same things out of it. And I have this idea here that David had that there, there's guidance here in this ancient book. I mean, it's old, and we admit that it's old. But it doesn't need to be updated. There's not a Bible 2.0 or anything like that. Uh, it it, it uh, doesn't have to be changed because it always fits our lives. Because we really don't change. Human nature, when you go all the way back to Adam after the fall, and then think about us, well, our technologies may change. And the way that we live life may change, and our thinking may change, but our nature has not changed at all. And so the Bible can address this, and even David, a king back in ancient Israel a long time ago, long time ago, right? And what he says is still relevant for us today in the 21st century. Now, no other book can do that. No other writing can do that. I heard the other day that uh, because of all of the, the woke culture that we have now, that they are taking um, novels like uh, James Bond and that kind of stuff. Uh, what was his name? Fleming that wrote that. And they are reworking it so that they can bring it up to date and take out some of the stuff that's kind of offensive. And they're doing that with Mark Twain. I mean, my goodness, Huckleberry Finn would not work. You can put porn in the schools, but you can't have Huckleberry Finn or Tom Sawyer, right? It's kind of the way things are. And they have to update those things. Well, here's the great thing about the Scripture. We open it up and we can read 
literally the same things that David read, the same things that Jesus would read, the same things that the apostles would read, the same things that the early church would read. It's a wonderful thing, this consistency <coughs> that we have, and it always addresses the right issues. The world goes through these phases where they will say, oh, this is what will fix society. Oh, excuse us, not that. We've got to change it. No, this is what will fix society. And then pretty soon it's like, well, that, no, that, that didn't work. Well, this is what will fix society. And we're stuck here in the uh, aftermath of that, wondering where do we land and what do we do and how does all of this work? And so we open up our Bibles and we turn to the Word of God and we go, no, this is what will fix society because it addresses the sin issue. It addresses the heart and human nature. It's always accurate and it brings us to the only one who can change our hearts. And that, of course, is God himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so David speaking here says, I will bless or praise the Lord because he's given me counsel. Where do you get counsel from the Lord? Now, I've seen uh, pictures that people would make of uh, somebody like a weary pastor and Jesus is sitting down in front of him and, and uh, washing his feet or something like that. Well, we don't know anything like that. That's kind of speculation. But let me give you something out of the Word of God that addresses that. Psalm 119 verse 24 says, Your testimonies, and that's a... Um, another word for scripture your testimonies are my delight they are my counselors I will bless the Lord at all times his praise shall always be in my mouth you know we think about how we praise the Lord and we uh, think about uh, the law of the Lord the psalmist said is perfect converting the soul the testimonies same word that we find here of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And what did it say in there? The testimonies of the Lord are sure. Same word that we find here. Your testimonies are my delight. Now, one of the things that I've learned in counseling people over the years is that if they don't want to hear what you have to say, it really doesn't do any good to try to counsel them. And we're finding out that now more and more people, they don't want to hear what you have to say, especially if all you do is give them Scripture. And that's why they're in a mess to begin with, because they don't want the Scripture. They are not avoiding the pitfalls because they don't take the counsel of the Lord. And they want somebody to give them a quick little bumper sticker saying, a quick fix that'll change everything for their life, a magic formula or something like that. And when you take them to the Word of God, then it's like, well, this is too much work. This will take too long. Because the Word of God is like seed. You don't plant a seed and then poof, here comes the plant, and you're eating apples off of it. It takes time for it to sprout, for it to grow, and for it to mature so that it can bear fruit. And we're finding more and more people don't want that. They just want a quick fix. They want something that is palatable to them. And David said, I'm actually praising the Lord for his counsel because his testimonies are delightful, and they are the one that tell him where to go and 
what to do and what to avoid. Psalm 73, 24 says, You guide me with your counsel. There's the idea of guidance. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. It's a verse that's used a lot of times at funerals. You guide me with your counsel. Your word instructs me what to do, what not to do, where to go and uh, where not to go, what to say and what not to say, those kind of things. And we always kind of have this thing where we wish we hadn't done this or wish we wish we had done this. We wish we hadn't said this or we wish we had said this. And we always seem to get it wrong and we always get kind of mixed up about all of that. And David is saying if we would just follow the counsel of the word of God. That's how God counsels us. He changes our thoughts. He changes our hearts. He gives us his wisdom, the wisdom of the ages. And he does that through his word and then takes us later on to glory. The second thing David praises God for, think about this, peace, promises, and rest. Peace, promises, and rest. Now there are some people that will say, I know how to give you peace, but they don't have any idea. They just bring more turmoil into your life. And some people make promises that they never intend to keep and uh, they will lie to you. And have you ever noticed in all of the commercials, if you ever listen to uh, them on radio, they will give uh, something about an automobile and then they'll talk about their financing and the rates that they have. And then all of a sudden they had the guy talking really, really fast after that. And uh, all, that's the fine print in the contract. You know why they do that? Because there's constantly somebody trying to uh, break the rules or find a loophole or to get out of doing what they are supposed to do. People will do that to you. They'll make vows to you. They'll make promises to you. They'll tell you, if you'll come to work for me, I promise you this salary, and I promise you that in two years you'll be in this position, and then you've been there five years and none of that has taken place. People will do that. Peace, promises, and rest. Because you see, when you don't have peace ruling your heart, when there's constant drama and constant turmoil, and when people don't keep their promises, and when you don't keep your promises, then what happens? It steals your rest. But David has a better way. He says, my heart also instructs me in the night seasons. What is his heart instructing him with? And I think the idea is he is so full of the word of God and so full of the wisdom and the counsel of God that even when he lays down at night to sleep, people say, well, I can't shut off my brain. Well, let me tell you what to do. Start thinking on the word of God. Start praying. It's amazing how quick you'll fall asleep whenever you start doing that. And it's almost like the enemy goes, oh, don't let them do that. Shut their brain off and leave them alone and let them rest. And the Lord will bless you if you'll go to sleep thinking about him, if you'll go to sleep with a prayer on your lips. And David says, even when it's nighttime, I'm so full of the counsel of God that my heart is getting me ready for tomorrow. My heart is instructing me as to what I need to plan and what I'm going to face and what situations are arising. And I already know what I'm going to do. It's a good thing when you go to battle and you've already got a plan. It's a good thing when you go to a battle and there are no surprises. It's a good thing when you go to battle and you know what the commander wants you to do. And that's what David is talking about. 
Whatever it is that he's going to face, my heart is already, he says, instructing me even in the night seasons. It makes me think of Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the, and here's our word again, counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, this is more germane to point number two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. It's in the Scripture, delighted in the Scripture. And I think that's a, a, a thing that is eluding us a lot of times in modern-day Christianity. We, don't really, we might delight in miracles. We might delight in things that go our way, but we don't really delight in the Word of God. But his delight, the blessed man's delight, is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, we're not talking about some Eastern mysticism here, transcendental meditation or anything like that at all. We're simply saying we take a part of the Word of God and then we mull it over. We think about it. And we consider every aspect of it. We examine it from a lot of different angles. And uh, the word for meditate uh, is like a cow who grazes and grazes and grazes. And then goes and sits down under a shade tree in the hottest part of the day. And you know what they're able to do with their what is it, four stomachs they have? They bring part of it up and they chew their cud. And that's the word that we think of when we think about meditating. We ingest the word of God. Maybe you read it in the morning before you went to work. Maybe you read it before you went to bed. And maybe you're just thinking about it. And it's almost like you're a cow chewing its cud. You're going to chew on the word of God a little bit more. You bring it up and you think about it. You may pray it back to the Lord. You may talk to yourself a little bit about it. David did that several times why are you downcast he said oh my soul hope in god you know we need to do that every once in a while just say uh hey brain stop it you're messing with me and i don't like this i'm gonna think on the things of god and that's what the godly man does and david i think is describing himself he meditates on it day and night not just when it seems or feels appropriate because sometimes you can have a good quiet time in the morning and by 10 o'clock you can't remember what you read or what you prayed about or what you were supposed to do. And David said, don't do that. This is not supposed to be an exercise in forgetfulness or just checking off the list. This is something that is supposed to control our lives. And that's how he guides us day and night. Number three, David praises God for his presence, his authority, and his protection. Now this is a kind of a strange verse. A little bit weird in verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Now. I have watched for all these years. My wife as she will decorate something. And she will take something. Not like this. but just And she'll set it in the right place. And she sets it where it will look good. And she also will set it where she can see it and where she can enjoy it. Do we do that with the Lord? Come here, Lord. There you go. You just sit right there and I'll do that. That doesn't sound right, does it? How do you do that with an all-powerful being who is a spirit? 
And I don't think David is saying he takes the Lord like an object and sets it there and, well, let's turn that around a little bit. Let's clean it up a little bit. Let's set it there. Let's put a light on it or something like that. I don't think that's what he means. I think what he is saying when he says, I have set the Lord before me, I think he is making reference to the fact that when you decorate, you put something there and you look at it and other people look at it. And I think he is telling us, I keep my eyes on the Lord. And when I have him before me, it means I'm following him. I can't take him out and put him there. But you know what I can do? I can get behind him and I can walk with him and I can go where he goes. We sing the old hymn, wherever he leads, I'll go. And I think that's what David is saying here. The Lord is always out in front. And that means he's preeminent. That means he is leading the way. That means I have my attention upon him. And I find myself, I don't know about you, but I find myself getting so easily distracted from the things of God during the day and at other times. I mean, it's, it's not very hard to get me distracted. And you may be the same way. Other things capture my attention. Other things will uh, cause me to think and to, uh, um, I don't know, maybe worry a little bit about those things. I know you're not supposed to worry, but I, that's one of the sins that I commit. And uh, sometimes I have to stop and think, wait a minute, Lord, you've got that under control. I'm not supposed to worry about that. I'm supposed to leave that in your hands. Why am I trying to take over? You know, the old bumper sticker back in the 70s that you would see everywhere. Uh, one of them said, I found it. And I can remember on that, uh, that was supposed to be about the Lord. And I remember even back then thinking, I didn't find him. He found me for one thing. Then there was another bumper sticker that was popular during that time. And again, I appreciate the sentiment, but it's just not accurate. And it says, God is my co-pilot. So who's the boss then? As far as I understand, the pilot is the captain of the ship and the co-pilot is there to assist him in case anything goes wrong. And that's not the way the Christian life works. God is not my co-pilot God is pilot and I'm not even co-pilot I need to just get back in the back of the plane and sit down and rest and let him take care of everything right and this is the kind of thing we always are trying to put our grimy hands on something and we're always trying to control something and we always feel like if we leave it up to the Lord like that's risky we feel like if we just let go some, somebody used to say, uh, let go and let God. And we feel like that if we do that, whew, boy, that takes a lot of faith. And I would just ask you, why does that take any faith at all? Knowing what you know about God, having experienced what you have already experienced about God, and why in the world do you trust Him to take you to heaven, but you can't trust Him with your finances, you can't trust Him with your children, you can't trust Him with your marriage, you can't trust Him with day-to-day -day life. What's wrong with us? We've got everything out of whack and everything out of order. And maybe that's why it's hard for us to praise the Lord. Maybe it's because we're not really filled with the counsel of the Lord. In fact, we flat out disobey what He says, and we knowingly disobey it. 
And maybe it's because our heart is so full of everything but the things of God that we know everything about sports, we know everything about the movies, we know everything about our favorite TV show, we know the, uh, the lyrics to our favorite songs, but we really can't think of anything out of the Word of God because we're really not filled with it, so our heart is not instructing us in the night. And maybe because of that, we don't really see much need for the Lord. Lord, I'll, I'll see you when I get home. I'll see you on Sunday. You know, like we do with our spouse, maybe. I'll see you when I get off work. And do we do that with the Lord? Or is He always before us and we are following Him? We're not trying to pull Him our way. We're not trying to get Him to go our way and do what we want. But we are following Him, keeping our eyes on Him. As the writer of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. What more needs to be said? He is everything to us. And David said, I praise Him because when I keep my eyes on Him, I'm always walking in His authority. I don't have to worry about anything. Jesus said, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth, right? And so we follow in His authority. And we follow in His protection because He is the one who makes the way for us. He knocks down the walls. He knocks down the barriers. He clears out whatever the enemy is trying to do. And then He's the one that protects us because He's omnipresent. That means not only does He clear out what's before us, but He also protects us from anything that might come up behind us. Sometimes the enemy comes up and tries to blindside you and tackle you from the rear. And the Lord is the one who protects us if we are keeping our eyes upon Him. So I have set the Lord always before me. That's a big thing. Is He before you? Or are you before Him? Is it your will? Is it your desires that come first? Or is it His? Is He set before you? And the key here is awareness. It's as if David is saying 24-7, I'm just constantly aware of the Lord. I'm living in God consciousness. And I think that's what it means when the Bible says we're to pray without ceasing. How do I do that? I'm constantly aware of God all day, all night, in every situation, constantly aware of God and conscious of Him and what He is doing. And so David is saying here, I purposely and intentionally think and focus on the Lord. Have you done that today? Intentionally think and focus on the Lord. And that's one of the things why coming to church is such a delight because Brother Dale comes up here and has us sing and when he has us sing certain songs we don't sing at least I hope you don't we don't sing whatever comes to our mind we don't sing whatever pitch in whatever key we don't sing in whatever rhythm well some of us might but um, we try not to right we sing the same songs and we sing the same words and they are God-centered songs and something happens to us. Why does it feel so good to sing those songs? Why does it give us peace? Why does it give us rest? And why does that happen even when uh, the other day I went out to walk like I do every day and get some exercise? And I really didn't want to do it that particular day. And uh, for some reason, uh, I felt impressed just to sing. 
And uh, I did probably about five or six songs, some old ones that I remembered, and I challenged my mind to remember the lyrics. Some of them I couldn't, and I had to think, and then they came to me later on, and it kind of occupied my time and occupied my mind. And I think about when we come to church and we sing those songs, there's something good about that because it forces us to think about the Lord and to be in one accord as we do that, as Scripture commands us that we are to be unified and in one accord. Well, that's a nice thing that happens. And so I would ask you to think about the Lord and intentionally set your mind on Him, maybe thinking of Scriptures, maybe praying to the Lord about certain situations. I mean, you can even do it with, Lord, that person was really rude to me. Help me not to be like that to other people. And help me not to be upset the rest of the day because somebody was rude to me. Because when I think of what they did to you on the cross, this is nothing compared to what you have gone through. So, Lord, help me to be kind and help me to be a blessing to other people. Help me not to be like that rude person. Let me display Christ. I mean, you can pray about those kind of things. And you can think about those kind of things. Or you might just start singing. And you can make melody in your heart. It doesn't have to be that you blurt out a song in the middle of your office or something like that. That would be kind of weird. But you can make melody in your heart to the Lord. And this is what David is trying to say here. That I have set the Lord always in front of me. I am intentionally focusing myself upon the Lord and uh, I'm giving him praise because in that I have power and I have authority and I have even the Lord's protection as I think about him. Now, when you think about the presence of the Lord, doesn't everybody love the presence of the Lord? No. Let me give you a negative. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, this is about Adam and Eve. And when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day... And the man and his wife hid themselves from what? From the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I mean, they actually hid themselves. And I, I just say, if you're in sin, you don't enjoy the presence of the Lord. And people that are lost, they don't walk into uh, a church service and go, Oh, I feel the presence of God. They don't know what the presence of God is. And they may be uncomfortable. They may be under conviction. And so they run from it. They don't want anything to do with it. But there is a positive side to it. In Psalm 23, remember that one? Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what David would be saying. I'm in the worst thing in life. I'm grieving. I'm hurting. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so there he is talking about, you're with me, I'm in your presence, and it brings me comfort. And every believer ought to find comfort in the presence of the Lord. But understand that somebody who is lost or somebody who is in rebellion, living in sin, they're not. Like Adam and Eve, they are going to try to hide. And then the last thing that I notice in here is David praises the Lord for stability. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Now, somebody standing at your right hand, I want you to think about this. That might be where a bodyguard would stand, and the Lord is your protector. That might be, if you're in a court of law, that might be where your attorney is standing. As he says, Your Honor, may I approach the bench and 
comes up there and does whatever they need to do. And that also might be where a good friend would stand. They're standing with you. They're not going to abandon you. And they would be right over here on your right side. And do you know that I just described the Lord Jesus in your life? When I think about what it means here that the Lord is at my right hand. And I think about that the Lord is standing there with us. And he's a bodyguard. He's protecting you from the enemy. He's your shield. He is your defender. How many times do you read that in Psalms? I mean, uh, a lot. Because he is your bodyguard. He's watching. He can see what you can't see. He knows what you don't know. He's got power that you don't possess. And then he stands there as your attorney. Have you forgotten that in the book of 1 John it says, And if any man sins... He has an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And that word advocate means you've got a lawyer in heaven where it really counts. And he is standing to your defense even now. And he's a sympathetic high priest. And he is the one who pleads your case. But then he's also a friend. You know, in the book of Proverbs, it says there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And you know who that is? The ultimate friend. Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. And uh, we think about the friendship of Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Why? Because friends like to talk. And Jesus is your friend and he says, talk to me. Put it all out there before me. Lay it all out before me. Give it to me because he stands there as a bodyguard, an attorney, and a friend. In Psalm 110, verse 5, it says, The Lord is at your right hand, and he shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. What is that talking about? He is the one that is going to bring his victory into your life. He's going to take down your enemies. He has got you. He has more than got your back. He's got all of you, and he is the one that protects you. And in Exodus 15, 6, it says, At your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Because the right hand, sorry lefties, the right hand is the hand of power, the hand of authority, the hand of strength, the hand that someone uses if they're going to fight for you. And so Jesus says, I've got my right arm ready to go, and you are protected by me so I want to ask you a question where would you be without the Lord where would you be some of you would be in jail you certainly wouldn't be in church would you you wouldn't have the fellowship that we enjoy in the family of God where would you be without the Lord well I can sum it up like this without the Lord you'd be uh, absent of what David talked about. You wouldn't have any counsel. And you'd be falling into moral pitfalls right and left. Always be in a moral dilemma. Always be in a lurch. Always be in a pinch. Always be in trouble. And always be reaping the consequences of your sin. Also, without the Lord, there would be nothing worthy of contemplation or even correction in your life. You see, sometimes... When you are thinking on the things of God at night like David was, sometimes that gets you ready for something. Sometimes it's the correction of the Lord saying, don't do that again. That was a mistake. That was a mess up. You sinned. And, and let me give you some wisdom. 
and teach you how to handle that situation. The Word of God does that. Uh, without the Lord, you'd be facing your enemy alone. Can you imagine what they would do to you? The thief comes only to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Do you realize you would be dead tonight if the enemy could? He would take you out. And rob you of everything meaningful in your life. Well, that the Lord, that would happen. And then David said, I shall not be moved. Think about what it would be like if you were tossed about by the wind and the waves of the culture. They can't even keep up with it. You certainly couldn't. And what would it be if you did not have any peace or stability in your life at all and by the way that is kind of a picture of hell because the bible says there's no rest for the wicked Hell's not going to be a place where you can even get a nap in and people say well i'm going to go to hell and i'm going to have fellowship and friendship with all my buddies who are going to be there too no it's a place of loneliness it's a place of outer darkness you're going to be isolated in the darkness and all you're going to hear is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. You ever watch any of these prison shows? And one of the things you'll notice when you watch those things is there's constant noise. Constant noise. And that's the way it's going to be in hell with the weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. And can you imagine what it's going to be like when you can't get a moment's peace? Can you imagine what it would be like if there's no stability because it's like a bottomless pit? Can you imagine what it's like when you can't see anything, you can't adjust to it, you can't find any light anywhere, when you can't seem to, because it's called outer darkness, remember that? Can you imagine a place where you can never be free from pain? You know, in this culture that we live in, we're always used to being pain-free, and we think that there's always got to be something somebody can do for our pain. There's got to be a pill to take. There's got to be an herb we can take. There's got to be an essential oil for it. There's got to be something the doctor can do. And I want to tell you, when you've been in pain, it feels really good when that pain goes away, right? Can you imagine in hell, in Luke 16, the rich man said to Abraham and to Lazarus, the beggar, I am in torment. And he was so tormented, he said, let Lazarus just dip his finger in water and let me have a drop of it that it might cool my tongue can you imagine and that rich man is still experiencing that today after 2,000 years what a difference it is to know the Lord and to have the Lord to be your savior to have the Lord walking with you so I've got a question for you can any of you think of a good reason to praise the Lord that's not just the same old, same old, but now you think about something that is maybe a little bit different. Anybody got any reason to praise the Lord? If you do, just say amen. And rest in Him tonight. And do it like David did, okay? Let's pray together. Father, as we think about David and the reasons he had to praise the Lord, help us not to be just trite, about all of that there's more to it than just the everyday things of life David was thinking about weighty meaty spiritual things things that matter for eternity things 
that could be used in his life to make him an example, to make him somebody that could pave the way for other generations to follow. And here, all these generations later, we are following in David's footsteps. He obviously wasn't perfect, but he always was going in the right direction, and we thank you for that. Help us to be that way for our children our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, even the descendants we will never meet, may we leave clear footprints for our family and may we be people of praise that comes from the heart for the glory of God and for our well-being and keep us to where we are stable, steadfast, immovable, as Paul said, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. And forgive us when we get so discouraged. Forgive us when we take our eyes off of you. Fill us with hope and joy tonight and bless us. And do it, Lord, so that we can be a good reflection and testimony of your light and of your glory in this dark, chaotic, mixed-up, dead world. Thank you for the light and thank you for the life of Christ that we enjoy. Let us delight ourselves in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, if you'll take your newsletter tonight, you can look and see uh, some things that are going on that you need to be involved in. And even if you're not, you can certainly pray for them. And uh, as you look down here on the table, we've got uh, a few people we want to uh, call attention to and just send them a note of encouragement. You remember Mike Johnson, the guy that uh, for the past few years has narrated our... Uh, Christmas musical well his wife has got a blockage 100% blockage in her heart and they've been trying to stent it and they haven't been able to she may be facing open heart surgery and uh, they're still looking into that and still working on it and so uh, please pray for her and just send her a note she's a very very sweet lady and Mike is a wonderful Christian man so uh, just be a blessing to them and then uh, Tom Yeary, if you were paying attention on our Facebook page, he had a, a prostate biopsy today. And uh, so we want to pray for him. I've heard that is a tremendous delight. And then uh, we want to pray for Roger and Becky. Uh, not only is Roger um, recuperating from broken ribs after a fall, but Becky's back is messed up again. And so... Uh, it would bless them to send them a note and let them see your name on it. And so that's down here as well. And then um, my mother-in-law is doing better, but uh, she's still on oxygen. And uh, uh, sometimes it is still dropping. It's not dropping as far or quite as often, but uh, it's discouraging. She wants to be off of all of that, wants to be back in church, wants to be a part of everything going on. And so uh, we've got her on this uh on one of these things down here too so that you can send that to her and so uh in just a moment if you will take time to come up and sign these things that really does mean a lot to people okay so uh let's take time to pray take time to pray for people that are on the list on your newsletter take time to pray for the events that are on there and coming up and by the way easter is going to be here before we know it and our passover lord's supper we always enjoy that and uh, invite somebody to come with you to church on Easter and we'll celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and the victory that he has won for us. Okay? And so uh, take some time to pray and you can leave whenever you need to, but be sure and sign these 